Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to season three, episode 12 of Canine Hoopers World, the podcast. Now today, um, this lady joined me in season two and she's back again for season three. Um, she's clearly a glutton for punishment. But um, Jane is a good friend and amazing trainer and a big, big um, superstar, in my opinion. She's like, shut up, don't say that. Um, but Jane Arden, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Cool. So, the world, um, how many cockers have you got now? Uh, seven. Were you at six or seven last time? I think you had babies last time we spoke. I think the girls were little. Yeah, I did this crazy thing of getting have having like two young dogs in the first in the same year. So well, you're yeah, still alive. So you've clearly survived. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So Jane, just before we get to cracking in, for people that don't know who you are, like seriously, go back to episode like season two. Go and find that episode if you don't know who Jane is. Um, you wrote a book called um, Mission Control that was. Yeah. About helping high drive dogs and I have to say it became a bit of a bible for me with the creature um there were lots of good bits in there that I really took away and helped me so thank you for writing that um I know there is another one in the making but it's not for shepherds it's for spangles so we can yeah. touch on that later but just for the people that don't know who you are um what do you do apart from write awesome dog training books uh, so I run Wagwaffins Canine College in Bury, Lancashire, mm-hmm. uh, where we do dog training classes, we do puppy training, progressive uh, bands, I do quite a lot of gun dog training, big into positive reinforcement gun dog training, um, we do mixed activities as well, I do one-to-ones and behaviour work, I've started doing behaviour work again, had a little break from that, but I've, mm-hmm. I'm back into that. Um, and I run an online community for dog trainers, professional dog trainers and enthusiasts, um, where we just kind of talk about dog stuff and geek out about dog stuff generally. Um, and yeah, that's it. And then I've got seven cockers um, myself, and I work them through the season, not all of them at once. <laughs> no, no, don't have seven out on the field at once, no. No, no the most I've done is three. <laughs> which I feel is still more than enough but yeah <laughs> so for people that let's just touch on the gun dog stuff first of all because gun dog training is one of those things that unfortunately some of it is still in the relics of the dark age and there is still some real bullshit training going on that just it's not a thing um how are you finding because obviously first of all you're female and anyone that thinks this isn't an issue like it still is um being female and also fluffy in terms of gun dog training um how have you found that like I I mean I'm assuming there are some people that like oh what the fuck's she doing that's fine whatever but you can train a gun dog positively can't you you don't have to pick them up by their ears and scruff them and any other horrendousness um yeah so the so interestingly enough because I think um a lot of um especially like professional training and so on and a lot of the dog stuff I think is quite female orientated so like our community is quite um 
female orientated you know whenever I do courses and stuff there's usually more women than men yeah. uh, and the gundog world is a very male orientated sport mm-hmm. so um you kind of you're kind of the minority um as a as, as a woman there's lots of women in this in in gundog training whether it's working or sports but we're definitely I would say the minority mm-hmm. So yes, it's a very male orientated environment. A lot of the training is very traditional. So lots of um, slip leads, prong collars, um, e-collars, um, lots of physical manhandling of dogs and physical correction. Why would you use, like, I mean, first of all, like we don't advocate the use of e-collars and prong collars um, anyway, but why the fact do you need to use a prong collar to teach a gun dog to go and pick something up and bring it back to you? So they generally <laughs> prong collars are generally what? used. I don't understand. For, for the uh, the prong collars are very common for the um, HPR and pointing breeds on the moors when they're having to walk to heel on lead. Oh, okay. So rather than training Lucy walking, we just stick a prong on it and that fixes it. Yes. Oh, awesome. It's not and a thing. That's kind of how it goes. So um, over, I mean, I've been, what, Pickles is 12 this year. So I've probably been into Gundog training about 11 years. And um, it's significantly changed a lot from when I first got into it. And there's a lot of positive reinforcement Gundog trainers out there. Um, The Gundog Club, for example, will only on their um, website, their, their trainers are force free trainers. Cold, so they, people they made a change a few years ago um, and they've got strict criteria about their trainers um, for membership um, so yeah there's 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 a lot of stuff out there um, Helen Phillips and Jules have got the Gundog Trainers Academy which uh-huh. is enforcement training stuff um, so there's lots out there but there's still a lot of the traditional stuff out there um, so yeah it's it's kind of it's it's slowly changing mm-hmm. um, but there is a mix out there in my experience um yes i've trained i think stig stig has got the kennel club working gundog certificate on game mm-hmm. which is where a kennel club trial judge assesses your dog actually working on a shoot oh wow okay so so it's a little bit rather than you going in a competition and it's winners and losers the working gun dog certificate is your dog is assessed as an individual in its competence to do the job nice um so it has to demonstrate steadiness hunting retrieving really just whatever happens on the day um so i think stig as far as i'm aware at the time was the first positively trained clicker trained cocker spaniel to achieve that wow okay so there's 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 a good few dogs have achieved that since which is fabulous Mm -hmm. Um, there at the time um it was and for me i'm not into the kind of winner loser competition side of stuff anyway yeah uh, because of the drama that goes with it (laughs) hey from being Um, a competitor i understand the drama (laughs) I shown dogs for years, so you know, I'm just that. Oh, it's getting too old for all that. So I like the fact that I I, I like the working gun dog certificate because it assesses the dog just doing its job. 
and it also there's no winners and losers it's just about have i trained my dog to meet yeah, a certain assessing your teamwork isn't it rather than on the day and i mean that's partly why with um with hoop as well we bought in the progress awards so people can track their progress and have goals to achieve without having to go to competition because yeah. a lot of my clients don't want to compete they just want to have fun with their dogs but it's nice to still get a pretty ribbon and go yeah you did a thing yeah. um without being second or third or fifth or whatever it's or just getting clear you know it's I think that is a really good way of doing it and I mean I find it really interesting that he was kind of the first clicker train cocker to get it because the kennel club you always kind of have this association that they are promoting the good stuff and they are doing the positive training but that kind of shows where the gun dog side of things was maybe being left behind in the world of reinforcement. I think I think it was probably just more that um, people were doing it with their dogs. So we like oh, we, okay. yeah, we we just set this up and arranged it. And I know since I think there was there was a couple of people who who'd done it with um, with retrievers um, mm -hmm. that were clicker trained and positively trained, um, and it was just kind of a growth. But I think it was more that people weren't doing it um, and weren't going into the competition side. And I think. One of the big things is that, especially from, from trialing and competition, there's still the view that um, the majority of dogs, the dogs that are winning, the dogs at the top of the game, are all, have all been trained traditionally. So there's still this strong view that if you want to be at the top of your game, you've got to train the dogs like this. That's the only way to achieve that. And that's only going to change by positive trainers getting out there mm -hmm. yeah 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 dogs. you know I always say to people you can you can spend hours on Facebook arguing <laughs> about what is what but the only way you will change people's behavior is from the inside you've got to mm -hmm. demonstrate that your dogs can do this stuff and the only way things will change is if you people are getting themselves out there and doing things with the dogs um on the shoot that I work on with my dogs, we're all clicker trainers. Our beating mm -hmm. team, are, we're all positive trainers. Um, so yeah, it's that's that's kind of the only way I think it will change by people getting out there and do stuff. And there is there is a lot more of it going on. There's people mm -hmm. doing that. yeah, and they're the people who are going to make the difference. Well, actually, the jumper I'm wearing today is quite funny because it does say put your training where your mouth is. Get off the internet and train yeah. your dog. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've got my put your training where your mouth is because it is isn't it we can all sit there and we've all been drawn into the Facebook arguments of no 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 but actually I would much prefer now to spend my time training my dogs or learning how to do things differently improving the way I train you know that's much more beneficial to me and my dogs that arguing with someone because they're using methods that I don't agree with and the fact is is that I don't think anyone's ever stopped doing something because someone on Facebook told them not to no I don't think so either you know having someone approach and say look you know you could try this a different way and taking feedback is very different to getting in a row with someone whose ethics are not in line with what yours are and it ends up with we're preaching to the choir all the time and actually if we don't educate the
the rest of the world. Things are never going to change. And one of the ways of educating is going out there and showing your dogs working in the way that you've trained them without using these ridiculous methods that are not needed. You know, I'm very fortunate. Hoopers is very reward based because it's a new sport. We've started on, on the good side. You know, we are predominantly cookie pushers. Um, so <laughs> I don't have that to kind of contend with. But when you look at even things like working trials, IPG, those sort of sports, there is still this real kind of you have to train your dog using force methods and fear methods to get the performance out of the dog when actually we know that dogs perform better when they're happy and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think it's it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's just kind of established belief systems in people and, and stuff takes time to for, for people to change mindset. And I also think as well, like like for me as a crossover trainer, mm -hmm. I think to crossover is like a huge thing because as you go on that transition, you're going through a process of like accepting that what you were doing was right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, massively, yeah. That's like huge for people to do. And I think um, that's something people have to go through a transition and have to do themselves. So I think that's a difficult thing for people to come to terms with. Mm. But, you know, everything I believed and everything I did, there is there is a different and better way. And maybe that wasn't the right choice. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people who are just not going to be able to do that. Yeah. And that will be the barrier. That will absolutely be the barrier. There are also people in this world, sadly, who are completely comfortable with it and completely okay with it as well. And the likelihood is that they probably apply that mindset to their whole life. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's much bigger than when we choose our methods. I think how we choose our methods is goes way beyond just dog training. I think it goes like around people's belief systems oh massively well so yeah i think it's um it, it's kind of quite a big thing so i think for people to change what they do um they've got to do that themselves you can't just go oh no that's wrong mm -hmm. because you're, you're attacking somebody's belief system yeah <laughs> no you are and the thing is you know the when it it does really bug me when i see i see positive trainers attacking other positive trainers like videos and stuff like that online because I'm like what what are you doing like I remember um putting a video up of um munchkin basically has celio gel around fireworks and I had five days to train her to have a syringe put in her mouth like you know this this was well prepared and it was great and I was like oh shit we need to get used to this so I was getting her comfortable just having a pencil the round end of the pencil not the sharp end I'm just going to make that clear the blunt end of the pencil basically just put next to her gum so she got used to having a cylindrical thing in her mouth and I put up a video she was on a mat and the criteria was if she was on the mat she was working I could do it if she got up left the mat it stopped so that was how I added the, cons the consent into the training and I think this is something else that is a good thing, but is also becoming a little bit of a curse in dog training is the whole yeah. kind of, there is a big old ball of mess that needs to be unraveled at some point and maybe we won't undo that today. But 
I had a few people like, oh, look at how blessed her. She's doing really well. And then I had a couple of people, well, don't you think you should give her more time? Don't you think? And I was like, but this is medicine that she needs. Yeah. I don't have an hour for her to take this. The second I hear a boom, preferably before the booms happen, I need to get that medicine into her as quickly and calmly as I can, as stress-free as I can. But part of it is going to be stressful because I've got to put this weird gel in her mouth. Yeah. And some of the feedback I got that wasn't even asked for and was just not (laughs) even needed, just bombarded me and this is probably about five years ago and it really really got to me and I was like oh my god oh my god and for ages I didn't post any videos up at all because it really put me off of it now you know I did my mental year of Facebook lives during lockdown because what else were we meant to do during lockdown just did random Facebook lives every day but that got my confidence up in putting videos up and I still now always double check my videos before I post them. Is there anything on this video that is going to get picked apart? Is this right? Is this wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And that's really shit. We should not feel like we are going to be attacked by our own peoples for putting good training out there. And I think as well, um, and um, the, the consent stuff's an interesting one because like, I believe that we should We should teach consent and I'm big on setting up training sessions and teaching consent. But I also think it's equally important to teach our dogs to be able to have things happen to them that maybe they don't want to happen, but still feel safe. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a difference. And I think, you know, um, I want to be able to restrain my dogs, Mm -hmm. whether they want that to happen or not, that I may need to restrain them. And I want them to feel safe. So I, for me, I think there's two things we need to teach dogs. One is that we want to go through consent so we yeah. can teach them to be comfortable. But I think sometimes emergency things happen to dogs. And, and I also want the dog to feel safe and not distressed, even though it's not particularly something that it might want to happen at that point in time. Exactly um, that. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think that it's important that we teach both those things. Um, I think from a video point of view, I mean, I put a lot of videos out there. Obviously, I had some drama yesterday. Was it yesterday? It was the um, other day. I don't know. You had some military man getting very involved in your training yeah. session for some god unknown reason. Hilarious. Oh, yes. Military man, if you are listening to this podcast, you were a dick. <laughs> so, so I posted a heel work video of Letty yesterday, and obviously that caused a little bit of drama because there was the how do you stop using treats? And then somebody was like, Oh, the dog, the dog looks over aroused, you know, because she was wagging a tail and she's yeah, oh, she's right. sorry, just quickly, just quickly. A cocker spaniel looked over aroused. Is there any <laughs> other state of cocker spaniel? <laughs> Well, I was like, I laughed because I was like, you know, between five and ten, she's probably only at a four, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, that's not my dog over aroused. Like, she's an intense dog. Um, and I'm a great believer is what I love about my cockers is I love the intensity. I love the drive. Um, I understand that, you know, there's a difference between drive and frantic. Mm-hmm. And frantic word. Um, drive is when the dog's intense, but you've got focus and, and cognition going on. So, um, and I like that in my dog, but I don't want to, you know, one of the things I always got when I did a lot of training in groups with traditional people who handled their dogs traditionally Mm -hmm. is one of the things 
they would always comment on was the speed of my dogs. And I was like, but I've never knocked these dogs drive. Their drive's never been knocked. That's, they're, they're probably no different than your dogs in genetics, but my dogs have never had any of this knocked out of them. This is, this is who they are. This is, this is what they are. Um, but yeah, like going back to the video, I think, um, you know, even for me, I think when, when trainers, when, if you're a positive trainer and you post a video out, whether it's on your personal page or whether it's on your business, I think it's a, in this day and age, the way things are, it's a really brave thing to do. Um, so for me, I like, if I see somebody's posted a video, I will absolutely put a positive comment on it just for the fact that I'm like, that was brave that you did that. <laughs> um, I think that we, whatever you post out there, you have to be aware that we all view things through different lenses. Mm -hmm. So somebody will, if they're that kind of person, they'll, they'll look for the negative in the video mm -hmm. um, and, and they'll publicly post a comment on that because that probably makes them feel better about themselves. So I always think, you know, if somebody posts something on, on your business page about, I just think it usually says more about them than it does about your video. Yeah. Um, and I just always think to myself, like for me, from a business page point of view, I had a few the other week. Um, I can't even remember what the video was. I posted a video and, and I ended up with this little influx of balance trainers come and make comments they were obviously mates and one had seen it and someone had else and I didn't even entertain them I just deleted the comments one of them was like um that's not force free the dog's on a lead and what? I was so I was like delete <laughs> that's no thing and no. then somebody else come on and was like you can't train dogs purely positively up and I was just like did and for me I just go not my customer I literally look at the comment and I go not my customer I'm far too busy and I'm far too old to be to be having training method wars with people who actually probably despise everything about me <laughs> you know as a, as a trainer because this is one thing that really really winds me up right you cannot be a purely positive trainer it what is not a thing i don't even know anybody that calls themselves that i just thought it was just something that balanced trainers made up to like yeah yeah, yeah. i don't yeah, think yeah it is it's it's a made up sentence you know it's it's the same as cockwomble. It's not a thing. It's made up, but we use it. Um, and it's like they've tried to make it this derogatory, oh, with these purely positive trainers. I'm not, right, I'm going on the record now. I'm not purely positive. There are times where my dogs need to be separated. There are times when my dogs need to be restrained. There are times when I need to tell my dog no. There are times when I have to separate my dogs and they might not want to be separated, but do you know what? For safety, management, they're separate. There are times when we're training and Dodge will go to do something and I'll ask him not to do what he's about to do because it's not appropriate behavior. What? So now I'm, and this is where it's hard, isn't it? Because then you have some of the positive community will go, whoa, well, hang on, you need to. But if you're getting fired, like shots fired at you from the positive community and the balanced community, 
what freaking hope do any of us have like it's mental yeah and I've, I've probably had more kind of negative comments on my videos that are posted on my business page from positive trainers than I have from balanced trainers um because because it's not it's not been positive enough when I got grief from was um introducing the dog to a lead um and I was told that the dog because I put the lead onto a collar and I was told that it was my, my video was outdated and that it should have been on a harness, I think, or something. But, but yeah, hang on, when it, your dogs are working, they can't wear a harness because they could get caught and stuck on things. And... Yeah. and that's the other thing. So I use slip leads with my dogs. Let's discuss this because it's the same because I'm assuming when they're in the field, they're naked, right? Yes. They are naked creatures running around doing what dogs do, being naked creatures. And yeah. legally, when they are working, they are allowed to be naked creatures. It's not in breach of any laws for someone goes, well, your dog should always have an identification tag on them. Not yes, when they're working. working they're, um, they'll be on private ground um, and they don't, working dogs don't have to wear a, a collar and ID tag. Um, so, yeah, they get in the thick cover, so they need to be naked so they don't get caught up. Um, so when my dogs are out working, um, they wear slip leads. Mm -hmm. um, for those that don't know, you can now buy, you know, our slip lead as a stopper so it doesn't go too big. Yes, so, so it doesn't come off the dog. You can actually get one that stops it strangling the dog as well. Yeah, so you can get one with a stopper on the other side if you want to. I don't have any, to be honest, because um, I just, I don't. It, for me, it's not necessary because I my dogs are trained on collars and harnesses as puppies. <laughs> pink, the girls wear pink ones. Um, so I will train my dog. I'm trying to wearing pink. Oh my god! <laughs> I think we've got pink and purple harnesses. Um, so so I train my dogs, and then the slip lead is a tool. The slip lead is a tool. To be honest. Um, with the older dogs anyway they don't need like the slip leads probably in my pocket for most of the day because they'll want to heal off lead between drives and really my end goal is that like when I go on a shoot I don't want to have really end goal is I don't want to have a dog that I have got put on a lead mm -hmm. so, um so so for me yeah that's that's kind of so yes I do use slip leads and you'll see photographs of my dogs with slip leads on when I'm out with all my guys um, they have I have slip leads in my pockets because if mm -hmm. I do have to put them on lead it's just easy for me to hook a lead over everybody and when we're out on walks they're on collars um, because they're usually in the cover just on a walk yeah <laughs> anyway so yeah so that's kind of um, that's kind of like my 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 view on that yeah but I think as well, and this is one of the things, isn't it? Because unfortunately, slip leads are used as an aversive tool and they are literally a noose if they are used incorrectly. You know, the, they are set. And I actually have seen trainers that have set it. So the stop, instead of it being the stoppage used to stop it slipping off of the dog's neck, the stop is already holding it tight. So yeah. the only option the lead has is to get tighter and potentially cause damage to the dog's neck. Now, yeah. that that's not what we're talking about when we're talking slip leads. And again, this is where I think we need to understand how tools work. 
all tools can be abused. A collar can be abused. A harness can be abused if used incorrectly. Some of the harnesses on the market, we know restrict dogs' movement, but yeah. they're one of the most popular brands of harness on the market. And yeah. that company does some really good harnesses that do allow free movement and all the rest of it. But their main seller and the one that you see in lots of the bull breed groups and stuff like that, goes across the chest and restricts shoulder movement. But people don't go, oh my God, that's the worst design ever. That's gonna injure the dog. I don't personally use them now, but I did five years ago. They do little chihuahua sized ones. Not many people make decent chihuahua harnesses. So, but the other disadvantage of that style is dogs can get out of them. They literally do the Superman where they put their front legs forward, dip their heads and they just go and they're out of it. And you're like, ah, shit. So Dodge's harness has a belly strap on it as well. It goes behind his ribs. So if ever there was a real disaster, I know he cannot get out of that harness compared to your normal kind of H or Y's type harnesses that are most popular. But then we have the front harnesses, which when I first started, we were all using those front attachment harnesses that only attached at the front and tighten around the chest because they were a way to give you more control. Because a decade ago, that was kind of the most positive way of doing it. Now we look at those and go, oh God, no, don't use one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So our understanding develops and we learn how tools can be used but also misused and I think slip leads is one of those that unfortunately some trainers see it as that knee-jerk reaction of oh, it's a slip lead ah yeah you can use them so that they're not going to strangle the dog and actually you know some a lot of kennels especially rescues need to use them for safety because the dogs can't escape out of them yeah yeah but transporting a dog from A to B safely is very different to training a dog to walk to heel correctly using yeah. a noose. It's a totally yeah. different scenario. And I think this is the other thing. People need to look at the picture before commenting on that knee-jerk response. Yeah. And, I, you know, uh, I, with my dogs as well, is, um, and I always think with Spaniels, I'm like, if, if people have got a high drive intense spaniel then genetically like what's probably happening with that dog is it goes out into the environment the environment sends that dog's arousal level through the roof and then what it does is it triggers behavior patterns so the first behavior pattern is a very fast figure of eight mm -hmm. uh, movement um so they're moving in this like zippy pattern because the environment sent the arousal up they're also, you know, we design these dogs, they're working gun dogs, and a cocker spaniel is the smallest, mm -hmm. and therefore it's the dog that's expected to get in the tight cover and get down and find the tucked in birds and the tight birds. That is what their job is. So those dogs have to work through pain. They need to get in the brambles and they get cut and they cut themselves and they don't care because they're on an adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. And so this is this is this is what's required of them as a working dog. So I always say to people, you've got it. If, if you've got a dog that is a drivey cocker and it is in that intense that you've got all this arousal and then you're struggling to get that dog to walk to heel because of arousal and genetics and everything else, then 
these are the people who get desperate because they're struggling to get the dog to walk to heal mm-hmm. and they can blame the methods um, and then these are the people who then decide oh I need to I'm going to have to use a slip lead obviously all the traditional trainers are going to tell them they use a slip lead and I go that type of dog is likely to just asphyxiate itself on a slip lead because it will work through the pain yeah. the pain and discomfort of a tight slip lead will trigger the adrenaline rush and the dog will push through it because genetically that dog is designed to push through pain and that's so, really interesting and bull breeds because we spent ages messing around with them so that if they got terriers are a great example if a terrier gets bitten by a rat it doesn't go how that hurt and leaves the rat alone it grabs it and rips shit out of it because that's what we're ready to do absolutely absolutely so for me i just think and i think they're the dogs that you're likely to cause damage to yeah you do that because they're the dogs who will literally just just kind of push through that without without thinking about it which so is crazy isn't it because that those are the dogs that are going to end up physically injured from methods that are meant to prevent something happening but the way they prevent it from happening is because it causes discomfort but if the dog knows how to work through discomfort then it's not going to work so it's fucking pointless so you're just being a dick to your dog <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's my science lesson for the episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, well, you yeah explain that, when you explain that you just go but then is this where people then start going into even kind of more i'm going to use the word abusive because they are using things like prongs and shock collars because they need to make the dog react somehow and the reason they work is because they hurt so first of all there's an argument i've seen the prong collar reenacts the mother's bite to the litter well you just heard jane's response um you, you've had babies you've had puppies so any of your bitches grab their dogs round and pick them up my so so what's really interesting and i think this is a really interesting one and you know obviously my my experience is just with cockers and my experience is four litters of pop so it's a very limited you know in the whole scheme of things it's a, mm-hmm. it, it is a limited experience but in my experience um my bitches and, and every single dog in my household they will go out of their way to avoid having to use any kind of correction or punishment to little puppies mm-hmm. so they will do things if the puppies get too full on they will take themselves away they will do things like get up on the sofa or leave themselves out of the way they will wreck them if you put in a position where they cannot escape then a correction might happen because the dog cannot escape. But the dog's actual choice. Are we? Yeah, I've got you. I've still got your audio. You're good. Right. Sorry, there was a technical glitch. Of course, there bloody was. There's always technical glitch. Um, you were saying about um how your your adult dogs will actively basically putting their own control and management they are moving themselves away from the puppies they don't want to be in a situation where they're gonna physically nail 
one of the pups. They don't want to do that. And yes, there are other breeds that I know will be more um, forward in their corrections, if you like. But the mother dog at no point, the bitch is not going to be correcting. And I, I freaking hate that word, but it's, it's the word that's used is not going to be correcting the puppy for not walking to heel. No. <laughs> but they just, they don't, you know, like with, you don't see this, the mother does this to the pups. You don't see um, that kind of stuff going on. But I, I haven't anyway, in my experience. I was like, maybe my guys are all right. As the pups get older and then they push their luck and then they can get on the sofa, then... And I think what's what's interesting for me is um, they all because I let my pups mix with my dogs is they all the dogs have different roles. And what you tend to find is that some of them will ignore them and teach the pups that some dogs don't want to interact with you. You need to give them space, and the puppies learn that um, through subtle body language. Um, they will. You tend to find the one that plays with them the most and really lets them like behave like dicks like really full-on hanging off the ears and yeah biting tails and hanging off their cheeks like builds that confidence in the pup that they can play really rough they will then normally be the dog that does any correction if correction is required so they bounce back from it really well they don't kind of go Whoa. they're just like oh it's okay i trust you i feel safe with you and yeah and, so if anything goes on like that um but i also notice as well that if my dogs do end up in a position doing that they're usually like a little stressed afterwards they're not comfortable mm -hmm. that yeah. they ended up in that position as well um so and for me i'm just like yeah we, but we're just humans as well we have to take that into account it's like <laughs> we're just humans um, I don't think there's anything about con collars that is to do with mothers and how dogs interact with each other. I think literally it's just a tool that applies pressure and discomfort to an animal and the animal learns to avoid it. And some people work through it and some, some, some will learn from it. Is exactly that. And I just, again, you know, we don't say yes, do it. I, I personally feel there are better methods and I I don't see the the point in it because to me, if if the dog's only learning through pain, then how how do you ever take that collar off, or does your dog always have to wear that collar to be able to walk next to you? In which case, they haven't really learned anything because the second you take it off, they're just dragging you down the street again. So, huh? Yeah, and it, and it's a little bit like a, a lot of management tools, you know, like head collars and stuff. You take the away and the dog is still isn't trained so for me you know i'll always save the training training over tools and yeah. generally for me are generally used as management um so so things i mean i've never used a prong collar in my life never needed to trained a lot of dogs been training dogs for a long time you have leos as well which are a big hefty breed they're yeah. not they're not little delicate petals are they limburgers they're they're pretty hench that yeah, yeah yeah and i always like with my leonbergers i mean i know head collars is another controversial subject 
But well, I my it, personal it, stance on that, as long as a head collar has been conditioned and is being used as a management tool and not just a saint to yank the dog around and hold on to, yeah. if they're needed while the dog is learning, then okay, but work with a trainer, don't just stick a head collar on your dog's head. Yeah, and I, I, I always introduce my young Leonbergers to head collars through conditioning for them to wear it comfortable with and literally I would use them from about five months old right through to about 18 months mm -hmm. and the reason why I use that was because then they never had the opportunity to learn that they were stronger than me and could pull me over um, so obviously I did lead training and everything but they always went on head collars through like their adolescence so so mm -hmm. I was able to, re to to just remain in control as far as the dog was concerned yeah you preempted that they were going to turn into a teenage dickhead and let's just think about it before it happens being a little bit proactive about you know the dog's going to be 70 kilos at some point and back then I was about seven and a half stone wet through so <laughs> I was I needed to make sure I was going to uh um, yeah, not not let an, an adolescent, especially the boys, not let them know that drag me across the road or go over to do something that they wanted to do. You know, and generally they they are dogs that are, I would say they're not they're not dogs that are difficult to teach to walk to heal because they walk like Spanish they walk. You have to like teach them. There's this thing in between stopping and running like hell. <laughs> There's this. Spaniels kind of have like nothing fifth gear don't they yeah. they need yeah. you need to teach them there is the rest of the gearbox to get through you don't yeah. just go they're, they're on launch mode the whole time spaniels aren't they there's like no and and when they're tired they trot there's like no walk it's like well so one of the things i do with mine when i'm teaching gear work is is i teach them how to walk i click walking not on a lead i just click i go oh walking the dog's walking click it <laughs> the thing is as well for people that like aren't familiar with spaniels like we're not exaggerating they're actual just little balls of men like imagine you've got a can of like a fizzy drink and you've dropped it on the floor okay that is basically a spaniel yeah it's just waiting to explode at any second and even when you've left you on the side for five minutes and you think it's safe it could still explode at any yeah. second. So this is where I think as well, you do have people that go down that road of using methods that we don't use because it's frustration on part of the, the human. You know, they're getting frustrated that this dog isn't listening. But you need to make sure you're giving them the appropriate outlets. And when we see it, you know, with urban collies and and urban gun dogs as well you know people go out and they get these dogs that are designed to be out working for hours and hours and expect them to be comfortable in a really built up area getting an hour's walk once a day and maybe a bit more of a jaunt at the weekend without any other outlet for them and it's just mental yeah yeah that's that's kind of what i deal with all the time yeah that's, that's and that's when, you know, then we start looking at things like scent work, hoopers, other stuff that you can give the dog access to. But I also do, I just wish more people would do a bit more breed research. And especially when they're, are we allowed to touch on designer crossbreeds a minute? Yeah. 
weird ass. Why not? Why not? Let's do it. Um, I'm I'm very vocal in the fact that I don't think that all these designer crossbreeds are a good plan. I think some of the crosses crossing something with a poodle doesn't make it better. I'm just going to say that. If you want something that's poodly, get a poodle. Um, oh my god, the one at Crafts, that little oh the little red tiny. I just wanted it. It was delicious. I need a poodle in my life because I want it to have a fabulous haircut and look fabulous. <laughs> but when you then cross that with a cocker, you're creating an evil genius that has a psychotic amount of energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I when people started breeding cockapoos, Initially, when I saw our first cockapoos come through classes, they were like awesome. Mm. They were such lovely dogs. They were, and, and this was like a first cross. It was a show cocker with a poodle. Um, and they were fabulous little dogs. They were really nice to train. They were really focused. They kind of just weren't as, I don't know, they weren't as intense as a cocker. They were just nice. Yeah. And like the cockapoos I see now are not like that at all mm. I think as time has gone on um, and obviously there's like F1s and F2s and all that kind of stuff going on um, breeding um, you know breeding working cockers with um, poodles is not something that I'm a fan of at all I think if you're yeah. going to do a cockapoo thing do it with a show cocker yeah um, because they are different aren't they let's just make it's very clear show cocks and working cockers are two different creatures they're absolutely different. And, you know, but I think, you know, poodles are poodles are smart dogs. They're like brilliant dogs to train. I grew up with poodles. They are sassy, bright, clever little monkeys. They are. For me, I think, you know, um, like Springer poodles as well. That's another one. I think you're, you're getting a dog with a high prey drive. That's that's what you're doing. You're doing working copper. You're, you're, you're getting a dog with a high prey drive. Um, and then you're making it into a pet dog from a selling point of view um, and then they go out to homes and then they do they do kind of all this this like working dog type stuff it does seem to be that people like the look of an oodle from like I'm sorry, like just buy a poodle people please um but when you're like when you're make, like crossing out like Cavachon is one of the mixes that I've met a lot of really nice ones. There's less yeah. health problems because the Bichon makes the Cavalier side a bit healthier. Um, again, I would personally just go and get a Bichon, but they're nice little dogs. I just don't get the fascination of crossing gun dogs particularly. And I mean, there's been some stupid freaking herding poodle crosses recently um i've heard of mali german and collie cross yeah, yeah. But like why just no it's not a thing um i don't understand what the fascination is with crossing gun dogs specifically with poodles and then trying to make them a good family pet because again if you're going from show line dogs like you know a lovely, well-bred pet Labrador could be one of the best pets you'll ever have been in your house. You know, good with the kids, all the rest of it. And then you add Poodle into it and you're like, why? I don't understand. Yeah. I, I just think it's like everybody's, it's, it, 
there's there's big money involved. People can charge lots of money for design of beads, um, and and it's what people want. There's a huge market for it. So and for me, I I don't know. I just think it's weird because I suppose for me, like when I breed my cockers, I'm breeding to improve the breed. I look at long goals, not just the the litter that I'm breeding. I look at the long term stuff. And I'm trying to improve the breed and breed into those desirable traits. So I suppose I just find like for me, like breeding crossbreed dogs just seems a little bit weird to me um, because it's like, what, what are you selecting for? Because again, like you say, I mean, like um, Cavachons and Cavapuchons, I think you've got a Poodle, a Cavalier and a Bichon and they're all very similar in in a dog fashion they're pet they're generally pet dogs they're they're, they're small they're generally normally to norm like easy to live with they've not got intense high braid drives they've not been working dogs for a long long time um so so they're kind of just pet dogs so you think well yeah if you mix those together then that's okay just in the same way that I think, you know, if you want a sprocker, if you want to put a springer and a cocker, I would be like, that's okay as well. If you want to have a um, springer and a Labrador, then that's okay because they're similar. But when you start putting things like like pugs with beagles, then you're crossing the line because, because you know, you've got an animal with a strong prey drive, a desire to sniff and smell, and then you've got something with 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 breathing problems or a short nose and so on and i think this is when they're worlds apart why would you cross breeds that are so far apart within because then you don't know what you're going to get you don't know the one that the one that i i i actually spoke about it's on the last episode because i was talking with um with paul and he's got huskies is um german shepherd husky crosses you're you're just breeding something for dual personality because the jobs yeah. they are bred for are so polar opposite that yeah. you're like, should they be running all day and working or should they be at home guarding or should they be independent or should they be with like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. So, so that's what, you know, I just think when you when you're considering crosses and everybody seems to just put something with a poodle, don't they? Um, looking but, poodles, but poodles can have health problems as well you know you have to make sure that um they've had their eyes tested um also if it's a standard you want to know that their hips and elbows are cool as well and this is the other thing i think people forget is there are three sizes of poodle um yeah. and a toy poodle is very different from a standard poodle. They are. I've I grew yeah. up with miniatures. Minis are my favourite. I love them. They've got a bit more, bit more spark to them than a toy. Um, and I like the size of them. But I train three standards regularly. They're wicked dogs, but oh my god, they are work. They're not easy, simple pet dogs. You know, you need to be planning on having a job for them, whether it's gun dog stuff because that's what they're bred for originally. you know yep. actual working or if you're going to do scent work hoopers agility obedience you know you need to be giving these dogs a job so when you're crossing two worky dogs and then expecting them to live in a pet home and do nothing that it's it's no wonder really is it that we're ending up with all these situations of resource guarding is the main one you know it's like 
How yeah. many how many cockapoos have you been contacted about the resource guard? Yeah, yeah. Well, well how many don't? I would say it that. doesn't. You're like, oh, it doesn't resource guard really. Yeah, I mean, like in in cockapoos, we generally see resource guarding and handling issues, and I see a lot of biting. And biting is normally where they trigger stacks. The fact that the dog's a bit of a resource guarder, and the dog's also got handling issues, and the owners don't often identify handling issues because these dogs they have this. Um, they want to be with you. I always remember um, Susan Coffee uses a term, and I always forget it. But there's a difference between a dog that wants to be with you mm-hmm. and a dog that wants to be touched by you. Yes. So from a social point of view, so often what you find with cockapoos and what I would say I see a lot in cockapoos is they want to be with their owners. So they'll follow them around and they'll hang out with them and they'll get on the sofa and lie next to them. But they actually find physical contact quite aversive. Mm-hmm. So they misread the dog because the dog like gets up and lies next to them. And then they put their hands on it and then it mouths and bites them. And then duh, 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 duh. and then if you've got a bit of resource guarding in there and a dog that's finding the human contact slightly aversive, you just end up with, with dogs that bite members of the family. Yeah. So, and that's a big problem at the moment. And for me, a lot of that is education. And I also think that you can, a breeder, you can tell with your puppies who is touch sensitive and who isn't so so this kind of stuff for me should be being taken into account because I wouldn't put a touch sensitive puppy in a house with a family yeah yeah um, especially if they're like first time dog owners and so on as well but I think you know there's there's that the I could see touch sensitivity in my puppies from literally three days old yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we knew, I think Minx was three weeks first time she growled at me because I had to pick her up. And I was like, oh, okay, you're not overly comfortable with that. I was like, I didn't know three-week-old puppies could growl at you, but cool, amazing. Yeah. That's why I kept her. Because I was like, I, I cannot sell this to the world because no. And she still, she will sit next to me and be touching me. And like, if I'm stroking her, she's okay. But if I move, she'll grumble at me because I moved yeah yeah he's like oh you disturb me yeah with the cockapoos they tend to be that they want to be with you so they're like highly social but they don't like it's the physical contact that they're actually not comfortable with and i do think that some dogs i just think that their nervous system is just highly responsive yeah to contact on their skin i think that that's down to genetics as well whether the coat comes into this because obviously poodles are non-shedding but cockers are shedding and this is the other thing isn't it because there's been this big thing for are they hypoallergenic okay there's no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog people it's not a fucking thing it's no but you can end up with a dog that is molting but still has that poodle type hair and it mats really really easily you know I did um an episode on um grooming with um Sue and she was saying you know making sure puppies are comfortable being brushed and stuff you know Dodge isn't the biggest fan of being brushed he'll tolerate it but I have to do little sections because he's not a massive fan of it um 
so I'm mindful of that with him, which is great for a double-coated breed that's molting at the moment. It's wonderful. <laughs> but I wonder if sometimes with these, with these crossbreeds, because the coat is neither one thing or another, whether that actually affects how things feel to them. Probably, probably. I have no science behind this, but... Yeah. But I, I think that as well is, is with a lot of, especially like your, your poo breeds, is they, the, own, the, the kind of responsibility is relinquished to the groomer, where, you know, I think really we try and get in puppy classes, puppy owners to understand handling and grooming and stuff, and that it's really kind of down to them. You should be doing this kind of stuff every day with your young dog. So it is like a normal part of its life and it's okay with it. Um, you know take them for a puppy groom but don't you know don't just wait till they need a clip and whiz them off to the groomers as well um you know because a lot of these dogs ended up being banned from the groomers because they've bitten the groomers um mm -hmm. because they and some of these dogs it is just that they're, they're just touch sensitive and it's not that you can't groom this dog or handle this dog it's about recognizing that dog's baseline and then doing something about it to support that dog to be able to cope with living in a in a human family lifestyle. Yeah. You've got to know where it's at first to be able to help it rather than just expecting it to to cope um, and deal with it. Because they don't, they just bite people. Well, yeah, exactly. And the thing is as well, I I wonder if also because of the way we've made them look all cute and fluffy and they've got these floppy ears and they're all curly and actually reading the facial expressions of them is really difficult yeah. it's hard to notice a subtle lip curl it's hard to notice a little tongue flick especially those that are groomed and left quite long round the muzzle and stuff yeah. it's hard to read their body language not as in like them wiggling and stuff but their actual facial expressions because they've got these big old ears and there's all this fluff and fur and curliness around and I think that's going to have an impact on people's understanding as well. I mean, going back to like the cockers, I'm assuming that after after being out, you have to go around and make sure they haven't picked up any grass seeds and make sure they haven't got any tangles or anything in their feet and all the rest of it. And that's getting them used to having their feet handled, having their legs touched, having their ears checked. As you said, if they've been working and they've gone in and they've cut themselves, you need to dress the wounds, you need to clean them. If you've got a dog that's touch sensitive, that's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as a working dog as well, like they'll get picked up and lifted over fences by other people who are helping you out as you're climbing over the fence. So they have strangers picking them up and watching them over fences. Yeah. Um, sometimes um you might only be able to take so many vehicles somewhere so they've got to get they'll get crammed into crates in the back of somebody else's car with somebody else's dogs um you know there's 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 all sorts of stuff that they have to learn to be to be okay about because that's yeah. that end of their lifestyle but yeah absolutely i mean mine i don't have like any strict grooming regime with my guys we come back from the, we come back from a walk they all get hosed off and then they all get blasted with the blaster <laughs> and that's and that's about it um and I'll, I'll just give them a little bit of a check over and so on but yeah that's that's about as far as far as it goes and then if they get any knots we just cut them out I mean but exactly that well you're not showing them are you so you're like well, <laughs> this is the thing right just cutting a knot out is so much easier than having to try and Oh, yeah. out of the dog like 
Honestly, yeah. don't you at that stage, mate, he's tufting. You'll know what I mean, but like yeah. where there's just yeah. these tufts just come out. And you have to quickly like, I'm, I'm like a little tough ninja. And if I spot one, I try and like get it out quickly before he notices it. But when I'm actually brushing him, there's like just, it's like, like gremlins. There's just fur everywhere. Um, yeah. But it's getting the dogs used to being touched and handled. And I, I find it so interesting that these, a lot of these dogs, and do you think that's more from the spaniel side that they're touch sensitive? Or it's, as you say, when you're looking at like the F2, F3, you don't really know what what all the parentage is, what all the heritage is. When you've got, you've taken a healthy poodle and a healthy cocker, and I know we're picking on the cockapoos and I'm not sorry, because tough. <laughs> um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm picking on them today, it's fine. But when you take them to health tested parents that are also temperament tested and have gone, right, this is a nice pet dog, this is a nice pet dog, let's put them together and make a super cute little puppy. Okay, cool. But when you're just taking two dogs and putting them together to make puppies to make money, regardless of if it's two different breeds or two dogs of the same breed, this is where it's completely fucking wrong. And it's unethical because you're not breeding for temperament you're not breeding for type you're not breeding for purpose you're not breeding to improve the breed you're just breeding to make money and i'm jane i'm sure you will tell me this um really really good breeders don't make money out of their litters because the amount of time effort and ball ache that goes into it absolutely yeah and i think this is a funny one is is like there are people out there who make good money out of breeding dogs um and there are people out there who make no money out of breeding dogs. I think it's so it's so vast in in what people do. I mean, I um, my last litter um, was was a, it was a loss. I made it was it was a loss out of the last litter that I'd spent so much. I had four I had four puppies. I kept one, and the way that I looked at it, and I thought, well, I haven't had to pay for my new dog. <laughs> was me trying to be optimistic about the fact that because um, I sold them at a reasonable price. I didn't, you know, it was, it was in the pandemic. I had people who'd been on my waiting list for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and those pups went at the price that I'd quoted those people prior to them. Um, I ended up having a C-section, um, emergency C-section. And I also got Mia spayed while she was having a section because she had complications. So I was just yeah. like, just spay her at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then just just the expense and little things like um, I took all the pups for a vet check mm-hmm. um, prior to them going to their new homes. And I asked my vet to produce a letter for each puppy to say that he checked the litter and that they had they that all this was OK. Mm-hmm. That was £25 a letter. Yeah. Per puppy. Yeah. So that was that was under a quid gone and then obviously you've got like your food and your microchipping you know obviously I spent a fortune on toys and enrichment stuff um they went out for drives everywhere I actually because we were in the pandemic I actually took mine to the vets for their for weight checks and worming um mm-hmm. two weeks and the vets were like you don't need to come and I was like no, I know, but I do because I need to get these puppies out. <laughs> and yeah. this is the only place I'm allowed to come. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you don't want me here, but I need to be here right now because seriously. 
So obviously, I, normally I just wear them at home and weigh them. But so I was obviously pay, having to pay for that as well. Um, so yeah, like just just made no money out of it. The amount of bloody puppy pads and everything else that you go through. Um, and the time you spent, like not being at work, not working, because I spend, I make sure that I can take the time off to spend with them as well. Um, so no, I've never made, I've never made any money out of breeding dogs. I think I'm definitely running at least. I've got, I've got dogs here that can't even be bred from that I've kept. If I was a proper dog breeder, I'd have, <laughs> I'd have sold them on because <laughs> they're no good for breeding. I um, find it interesting though that you, um, that Mia had a um, emergency C-section because Chica did when I had my litter and that was my first, last ever, I'm not doing that whole breeding thing again because just no. Honestly, the work, when when you have a litter at home and I only had two puppies so I like my life was relatively easy um but it is hard work and you're trying to make sure that you're doing the enrichment and you're doing the correct socialization in terms of noise and smells and tastes and textures and all the rest of it and breeding the best stock you can and again this is the difference to just finding someone that's got puppies ready that have blatantly come from puppy farm and I think this is the other reason why we're seeing so many spooky dogs because people are not putting the time and effort into their litters and are not putting the work into their puppies to make confident puppies you know I mean for me letting chihuahua there'll be chihuahua people that breed chihuahuas I let my puppy angel went to her new home at eight weeks old that's unheard of in chihuahua they generally go at 14 weeks because of blood sugar levels and some other stuff that apparently is a thing. I had big puppies. They were healthy. I knew the. I'm still in contact with the people that have her, the friends of mine. I could see her tomorrow if I wanted to. You know, I had no problem with that. But if you're keeping hold of a puppy till it's 14 weeks old, you need to have done a shit ton of socialization with that puppy yourself before it goes to its new home. Yeah. And if that's not being done... This is why we're seeing such problems with some of these toy breed dogs that are with the breeders for such a long time. They're not socialized at all when they go in the world. And then people wonder why they're showing aggression. It's like, it's not aggression, it's fear. They're scared because they don't know what this place is. They've never met another dog. They've never met an old man. They've never seen this person or this person because unfortunately this is where it lands on the breeders freaking putting some work into their puppies yeah I mean I one of the big things with me that I've learned as well is I always make sure that my puppies are exposed to car travel um and I make sure that before before eight weeks old that they will get in a car and fall asleep and be able to do at least like a 40 minute journey and fall asleep before they go to their new homes so um so you know if if they're like Gwen had one from this litter she got she's four hours up to Edinburgh so I knew when she picked her puppy up that when she put it in a crate in a vehicle that that puppy had already learned this is time to go to sleep yeah yeah and the dog just sleeps so you don't get stress you don't get travel sickness all that kind of stuff so again for me that like and I just think it's so much better for the puppies if they're exposed to that, like as, as they're in their little gang, yeah. where they save together as well at first. So again, the trips to the vets I did, we did trips up to Wagawuffins. And um, one litter, I think, I took up to Victoria Stillwell, which was a 40 minute trek. Um, 
academy thing so they got to meet people there so again just you know that kind of stuff and when um i was looking for a rotty breeder for for mikey that was one of the other things that was one of the questions i asked will you be exposing this dog to vehicle travel before it leaves yeah um because so many dogs are travel sick yeah I'm very fortunate, all of mine have always been, Munch was a little bit when she was very young, we had to make sure she had not eaten within an hour of travelling, she threw up on the back seat of Dale's Mustang. (laughs) Nice. It was leather, it wiped clean. I've never been so glad that it wasn't my dog to have done something, I tell you. That was one of those, yeah, that's that's your dog. Your dog threw up in your nice car. It wasn't one of mine, thank God. But, yeah, all of mine have been good with travelling and have been used to travelling. And I think I just did that instinctively. It wasn't necessarily a deliberate thing, but, like, I drove them to the yard and they met horses and stuff because I knew the chances were... And actually where Angel has gone to, they have horses and goats. So that six, eight week old exposure to meeting horses and seeing horses and stuff was really necessary for the life she was going to lead in the future rather than at 14 weeks old, all of a sudden going, and this is a horse. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? Like, it, it just baffles me. And I think this is where... If we can educate people more on what they're looking for, it's going to make breeders put more time and effort into their litters because people will be expecting it. If I've got no problem paying a premium if the puppy has had the work put into them, you know, like puppy culture stuff, I think is really cool. You know, when people are looking at doing kind of, those sort of programs as an example with their puppies so you know they've put the work in with different stuff not just they're in a box with mum for eight weeks and then they go to a new home yeah absolutely and I think you know that that's like another thing I always say you know I I don't think there is anything wrong with a good breeder who is doing everything right to be charging enough money to make a living out of it doing a proper job then there's absolutely nothing wrong with 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 making money out of that if if you're doing a proper job if you're bringing puppies into the world and doing the best you can and supporting the owners keeping in contact with you doing all that then yeah there's nothing wrong with charging money and being able to make a living out of it it's those who you know there's people out there who see them on pets for homes where you know the dog's not even kennel club registered the parents are not health tested they've been brought up like in a shed somewhere in a little box in the back of the garden and they're charging like three and a half grand for a puppy and then there's crazy people who are paying that money for these dogs as well yeah Uh, you know so for me i just think i don't think there's anything wrong with people making money out of breeding dogs but what's important for me is that the they're doing it they're doing it right and doing the best they can yeah, yeah definitely thing to think about as well is i also think that it is important that people are selecting the right genetics and supporting good genetics with proper rearing versus breeding crap dogs and then spending a load of time doing a load of work 
to cover up the crap genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. I think that's that's also something as well. You know, I think the good temperament and breeding is 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 like the most important part. And then your neurological stimulation should should be supporting good genetics, not compensating for bad genetics exactly that and i that is that is a really really good point jane as well because for me especially you know when you're breeding a litter you know that you're breeding dogs that are going to be worked so you're looking for right what's the record of the dogs you know are they out working you wouldn't just go online and go right what cocker's available right now that's never ever been in that environment because the chances of the genetics being good for that dog and that job are not likely. So when we're looking, you know, um, one of my friends um, has got gorgeous um, German Shepherd bit. She put so much research into looking for basically a pet German Shepherd. You yeah. know, same as you looking for a pet Rottweiler. You know, they are available and they do exist. But on the flip side, you also have the working ones of those breeds. And, you know, is how I ended up with Dodge because he's a working line shepherd and he went to a pet home and it really wasn't working. But also, I would love to know what his genetics are because I doubt they're great. And we know from his hips, they certainly, the chances of both his parents having decent hip scores before they were bred from a minimal. Um <laughs> yeah why are we breeding from dogs that are not you know my vet actually said my vet turned around to me and said it's a shame his hips are shit because he'd make a cracking stud dog and I was like you do know he's also a bit of a knob as well right <laughs> so actually from my point of view I would never contemplate breeding from him because physically no but also, I don't feel that his temperament is sound enough because he's freaking spooky. I don't want to potentially produce a litter of more spooky dogs because that's not good. And you don't know how much, you know, this is the thing with health as well, is you don't know how much his hips have influenced the behaviours that you see as well. Um, especially I think um, dogs that have got pain in their hips are generally they're either like erratic mm -hmm. or you get fearful defense which is understandable if the animal's in pain but you definitely do see associations with with health problems again with with behavior problems thereafter again so everything's intertwined the amount of dogs that I see now that have developed resource garden issues that have got Jardia or had Jardia or, or uninvestigated gut problems. Um, mm -hmm. Gut problems definitely, definitely influence resource guarding, especially around food. So, and and that is another big point, isn't it? Is that people really do undress, underestimate pain. And actually, um, we've got um, the canine arthritis management guys are coming on the podcast in a few weeks so that'll be an episode to look forward to because obviously that's something that's close to my heart because I've got older girls but also we know Dodge has arthritis at the grand age of two um interesting with him we've just started labrella and I'm noticing a difference not yeah. necessarily in his movement but in him as a dog even you know i was um i was at a um a training thing the other week and a trainer that he historically has always had a bit of a pop at he's on his shit list for some reason 
he actually basically was neutral with and even took some treats from. I don't want him to be necessarily friendly. I'm looking for neutral because as a shepherd, neutral is where we want him. Yeah. Since the labrella, I'm noticing we're a lot more neutral. And it's made me go, oh, should I have put him on the painkillers earlier? But you don't know until you know. But it has really highlighted for me that, again, when there are behavioural things going on, do investigate. You know, when you look at Dodge as as a picture, you watch videos of him, you would not realise that those radiographs are for this dog at all. You wouldn't be like, really? That dog has no hip joint? Because he's got the muscle to support it. He's learned to work through it. And now we've added pain meds into that as well. I'm really seeing a difference. And then I've got that whole kind of trainer guilt, if you like, of should I have done it earlier? But then when I first took him to my vet to be x-rayed, my vet went, why are we x-raying him? He's fine. And then half an hour later came out and went, yeah, he might need a new hip. And I was like, hang on a minute, 30 minutes ago, you said, what's going on? Yeah. Until you know, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I think that we do need to we do need to be promoting good breeders more and breeders that are putting the work in to keep the breeds healthy. And you know I'm pro rescue and I I wish that all the rescues were empty. But again, decent breeders that are breeding good, healthy stock that have good temperament are not adding to the problem of dogs in rescue. Yeah, and I think you know. Um... I always like when it comes to rescue I think the the problem the the problem with rescue is that dogs are bought are bred irresponsibly and they are bought irresponsibly and I think you know I think people's disposable attitude to dogs the reason why there is a problem with rescue and I think for me the the rescue solution isn't just taking on the rescue dogs because you're not dealing with the cause of why these dogs are in there in the first place and they recall the cause is irresponsible breeding and irresponsible purchasing mm-hmm. and disposable attitudes and i think if we can educate people if breeders can take responsibility i would have any of my pups back at any age at any point i brought them into the world and they yeah. will always be my responsibility so if something happens there I'm going to take those back. They will never become a part of the of, of the rescue problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if people make purchases, you know, I see pet owners all the time where, you know, their dog's getting a little bit challenging and they're like, well, if we can't fix this, we're going to have to rehome him. Like it's a normal part of dog ownership. You know, literally, it's like it's a normal part of owning a dog or we buy a dog and if we struggle, we just rehome him. And and so many people's mindsets are like that. And I think for me, that's where the problem is. Yeah. Where the problem is, is that, and if we had responsibly bred dogs that were assessed and went to the right homes to try your best to guarantee that it is a permanent home, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have all these dogs going into rescue. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then this is where, like, people moan about it's oh it's so hard to get a rescue oh well I didn't meet their criteria yeah because the rescue is being so freaking strict on their criteria because they don't want the dog to come back they want those dogs to go in that home and be there forever you know um 
I, I saw recently a post, um, it, it was a puppy, seven months old. It's been in a rescue already. It went to its new home, lasted, I don't even think it lasted a month before it's come back again. Like, and this is why the rescue are now going, right, we are gonna take applications again, but you need to be aware that you are taking on an adolescent dog. And this is when so many dogs do end up in rescue, isn't it? When they hit that bastard teenage stage, because guys, I call, I dog. It, I call it the seven, seven to nine months, the rehoming stage of development. That's what it is. <laughs> it's the rehoming stage of development. That's when people start, it gets tough and people start to, and that's where that's the age that dogs end up in rescue. And for me, you know, I think dogs should be, there's there's always going to be a need for rescue. There's always going to be yeah. cases where owners have died or, you know, something's happened. There's always going to be, but the issue I personally have is this attitude that people have um, where that breeders have, where they go, I've sold it, it's yours now, it's not my problem anymore. Yeah. Kind of and then there's this well if I've got a problem I'll just rehome it because that's what you do attitude as well yeah no definitely 100% and I think with the breeder thing is there but also it is the consumer isn't it it's both sides of the coin you can't just blame the breeders because also that you know there are breeders out there that have done everything right and the person's not coped and rather than contacting the breeder they've suddenly been contacted by a rescue centre and gone oh your details are on this puppy you know we've had come in because they said blah 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 and then the breeder's completely heartbroken that rather than and I think this is maybe an embarrassment thing that the person's like oh well I don't want to let the breeder know that I fucked up yeah, 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 put it in rescue. definitely no you know I would say 99% of the people I know that breed would always take a puppy back. Yeah. I know them that have contracts that have said the yeah. puppy needs to come back to them. I've always said with Angel, you know, would it cause complete chaos to bring a nine-year-old chihuahua back into this house? Of course it would. But she's still my responsibility because I made the choice to have those babies, you know, and maybe that's where they need to start making maybe we need to think of that being a law that people need to be more accountable for the pups they're selling but also i think people need to be more accountable for going out and buying dogs and purchasing dogs whether it's rescue or whether it's as a puppy because it is that attitude isn't it of, oh well we can just rehome it i don't remember no, that being I, a thing ever i've had um I've, so we have Dogs Are Us near us. It's shut down now, but Dogs Are Us is like a puppy superstore. So they buy like puppies from Ireland and Wales, and then they like sell them in this in this big superstore. So you can get like any breed that you want. You just turn up, you pay your money. You got a six month guarantee as well. So if it's a bit shit, you can take it back. They'll refund you all your money, but they will tell you that they're putting it to sleep because it's a dodgy one. So then obviously, then you're like, oh, I don't need to put it to sleep. So they keep it. And then they're like, well, you can have half the refund. Proper, like, business. It's awful. So I've had customers come to me with dogs that they bought from Dogs R Us. So say like a Sheltie, for example. Mm -hmm. And they'll have gone to a breeder, for like a responsible breeder, kennel club registered or whatever. And that one's interviewed them and said, 
I don't think you're suit this breed is a suitable breed for you. And the breeders turn them away. So they then go to a puppy farm and buy that breed anyway. So again, that's like, you know, because the breeder told them what they didn't want to hear, they just go and get that breed anyway. Where I'm like, maybe you should have taken that on board. Yes. It's, it is, <laughs> it's like, isn't it? Of it's it's a right to have a dog, and yeah. it's your right to have whatever dog you want to pick. Whereas actually, like it is a luxury, but you're also responsible for a life, and you need to be prepared to give that dog everything it needs. You know, um, neighbors of mine recently, their puppies actually arriving this weekend. They came over, they met my girls, they didn't meet Dodge. Um, <laughs> they didn't need to meet Dodge, that was fine. But they met the girls and they were like, no, we definitely want a toy breed. And I sort of spoke with them about the different options. They phoned a few breeders, found out what to avoid. They've been and met the puppy three times before it comes home. And they've decided on a Yorkie which I think is going to be a good match for them. It's their first time having a dog as a family. I think that's quite a nice breed for them to have. They're already booking a trainer in before the puppies arrive. Like, and I, I know the trainer's going to be like, score, you've got me in before it's arrived. Amazing. Um, and if you are getting a dog, guys, ring the trainer beforehand and the trainer will love you forever because we will think that you are a unicorn and we'll be very happy rather than when it's eight months old and it's being a dick and you've done nothing with it. Um, but, you know, they've borrowed training books off of me and they've been asking me, like, what videos to watch on YouTube and are there any online things to do? And I told them about SmartPup and, you know, all of this cool stuff that people can access and they just don't fucking bother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, I think people don't know. People don't know this stuff's out there. People don't know that they need to do this or that they should do it. Um, so that's the other thing as well. Is it's that like what what is what is purchasing a puppy? People just go, oh, I want a puppy. You know, some people will just post on a local Facebook group and go, oh, does anyone know if there's any puppies for sale locally? Like, I want a puppy. Um, and yeah, so it's just like different people, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But yeah, wouldn't it be a wonderful world if everybody. Responsible you know, I wish everyone put as much effort into getting a dog as they do researching their next car or mobile phone. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, honestly, I know people that spend hours researching what phone they're getting and all the rest of it or what car they're getting. Yeah. And then they will literally go online. As you say on Facebook, oh, I want a dog, what dog should I get? Huh? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want one with floppy ears. Well, what, is that the criteria it's got to have floppy ears okay cool yes i like my i like my dogs furry i like them to have floppy ears not sticky up ears um i like them furry and i like them to carry their tails low so i don't have to look at their testicles or bum hole <laughs> <laughs> that is my criteria for dogs that's why i've got cocker spaniels <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious! So Dodge really doesn't float your boat, does he? With his pointy ears and his well, he is fluffy. I mean, he's right. Oh, he's he's all right. He's like a Leonberger, but not a, a, like Japanese Akita is definitely not because they've got the wrong tail. 
Uh, yeah, so the thing is, because he's got quite big britches at the back, we we do call him Fluffy Nuts, bless him, because they just kind of blend in with the fluff. You don't really notice him. It's the bull breed. I freaking, I love my bull breeds, but honestly, the boy bull breeds, when you see him wandering down the road with the big old set at the back, it's hilarious. Okay, so no, no. I don't want to see that in, like, my eyeline while I'm watching telly. It's just <laughs> So, right, I'm going to make you laugh now because this is going to make you cringe. It's hilarious. So I was judging at a competition a few weeks ago and there was this cracking little Frenchie in the ring. Bit of a muzzle, running around doing hoopies. Lovely little dog. I'm sat in a chair at the, at the finish line and it was a beautiful sunny day. And we were joking that we were basically sun lounging while we were watching. Like, obviously I'm judging, I'm doing my job properly, but I'm sat down in a chair. And I literally got teabagged <laughs> he ran up my body now generally when a bull breed flumps on me we call it sandbagging where it feels like you've been hit by a sandbag but he sandbagged and teabagged at the same time <laughs> honestly his poor owner was so it was hilarious i was crying with laughter trying to keep my mouth shut and <laughs> this little frenchie was just there Snuffle pig sandbag tea bag moment. The next run he did, I stood up. <laughs> I was like, I'm not having that again. The first time was enough. Like, but oh yeah, it was it was funny, but it was so nice seeing this little Frenchie that had a bit of a muzzle and they'd obviously done the good breeding and yay, well done. Um it's funny, is it? Because I'm here we go. I gun dogs, no. Gun dogs, the, the whole as a group, they just do nothing for me. Like, <laughs> just no. Give, give me some pointy ears that does the biting stuff. Like, <laughs> but that's why there are so many different breeds of dogs with different functions. Love it, absolutely. I like absolutely. my herdy breeds. I'd always go for a shepherdy collie type thing. That's just what I like. I also want a fabulous poodle with a fabulous haircut, but you know. I'm too I'm too loud and clumsy for a, like a collie I think I think a collie would be traumatized if it lived with me <laughs> I, think, I think they're far too sensitive I like need my need to be quite robust see whereas I think for me knowing from my horse like my horse history I've got an electric backside I can fizz anything up so the thought of me living with fizzy dogs just no <laughs> nothing like the, the thought of having seven spangles running around me, just, no. <laughs> Brilliant. It's like, it's like the best kind of antidepressant ever because you'll just laugh. You just laugh all the time. I, I do, like, as much as the, the creature is, you know, he's, he's in my heart, but I like my little toy dogs. That The worst case scenario, just pick them up and walk off from them and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> The Spaniels will like, they just stop you taking life seriously because they just embarrass you to such an extent that you just have to stop taking life seriously. <laughs> there, there, there is a, a, a quite infamous Jane Arden training video of where <laughs> we're boys. Humping. <laughs> it was like, this is a public service announcement, educational video, and there's just this Spangle humping. Oh, that was Pickles. That's <laughs> on one of my live videos, educating other dog trainers. As you just got up aside humping my shoulder, yeah. 
Absolutely. It was so funny. And you're trying to do this live to like help the world to make it a better place. And there's just a spangle shagging your shoulder. <laughs> it's life with Spaniel. That is my life every day. <laughs> oh my god, Jay. I'm I'm gonna say I'm not convinced. Like some people are probably listening to this going, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And other people are listening to this like me going, no, not at all. Why would you do that? So would you say a working cocker is a good pet dog? I would say if you are um if you've got a sense of humor. If you don't take life too seriously, if you don't want a robot and a dog that you can control completely um, to be completely obedient and everything else. I think when you're with Spaniels, we have to meet halfway. Mm -hmm. Normally our training is like us meeting halfway. Um, if you've got time to take them out and have fun with them, I don't, I personally don't think they need as much entertainment and exercise as people believe that they do mm -hmm. i think that if you um even in the city if you're not exposing them to the countryside and pray and stuff like that then you'll probably do all right um so uh, for me it's really about the mindset the majority of people that i meet that are pet owners with spaniels is they've no idea what they've taken on and their expectations are worlds apart to what that dog's going to provide for them um and yeah it's you know and for me it's like let them be puppies they take a long time to mature um i don't rush my dogs i don't expect too much from them um i don't do any obedience training with them as puppies at all it is all play and engagement and friendship and, and all that kind of stuff so they like with me um, and then we we focus on behavior thereafter once we have a relationship and um, they're sensitive dogs if you put pressure on them they will melt down very easily um so i think they're amazing that's why i've got seven um but you know they are busy they are active um they do need entertainment and exercise they don't need excessive amounts but you if you don't meet their needs you will get huge problems mm -hmm. yeah. so I think they, I think they do make great pets with the right owners. Mm -hmm. That well, you know, if, if you're expecting a dog that, as you say, is going to be a robot and one that's not going to need, a, like that, taking them for a little walk around the block and then to the park at the weekend for half an hour is not going to float their boat, is it? They need need a bit more. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you know if you and you've got to be into training them because they are trainable um but they don't come trained they come with a high prey drive high energy persistence a high pain threshold <laughs> and they come with all those traits but they don't come trained so so they are great dogs but you've got to harness all that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. so it requires and that requires that requires some work from the owner yeah no definitely and at the end of the day like all all dogs come like the, the whole blank slate thing winds me up as well but we won't go down that rabbit hole you need to put training into all your dogs regardless of the breed you know the amount of times i was told with the trials oh i can't believe your trials did oh you've done that with them and i'm like yeah because it's a dog and i think that's the thing isn't it it's dog first then the breed look at the outlets all the rest of it you know but when you are going to take on a dog that's 
of a working background, whether it's gun dog, herding breed, you know, if they've been bred for a job, then you need to give them a job as well. You can't just expect them to be a sofa ornament. It doesn't work. Once they get to about nine years old, then they start turning into sofa ornaments and the world's a lovely, easy place. And then you get another young one just to fuck everything up again. I forgot how hard it is. Yeah, and go, oh my God, why did I do that? Life was easy. Yeah. Then we got a puppy again. What are we doing? Um, yeah, true story. Yeah. Especially when you're mental like you and get two young ones at the same time. That's that was either a really good idea or the worst plan ever. But right. well, I got a young one and then I had a litter. So I had a litter of puppies and a six-month-old puppy. That was never doing that again. So you had a teenager and babies. Yeah. Was, yeah. It was, it was, yeah, that was, life choices. <laughs> and so do you know what was interesting? Was um when I've had my dogs before, I've always had a one-year rule. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, put invest your year, invest at least a year into that's, that. That's a good rule of thumb. Yep, that is a good rule of thumb. Yep. Have a year. Invest that year into that, you know, the first year. Invest that first, into that first year of their life. So what's always interesting is, like, in my house, and again, if you've got a multi-dog household, you'll see that the baby is the baby so it doesn't matter how old they are the youngest is the baby and they like they're still stupid and they lack responsibility and are, and they stay the baby and then when a new one comes in they like grow up mm. and you see this like shift in 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 where they are in your house they're like oh I'm, I'm not the baby anymore I've got to grow up and I remember like drift was fuming <laughs> when I got Huey he was like absolutely furious it was about not being the baby anymore and that this well, other Peter baby. Pan he didn't want to grow up absolutely did not he was fuming about this whole aspect of that he might have to be a grown-up and have some responsibility um so Pebbles came in and she was the baby and then suddenly like she was six months old and there was another baby and and she like had to grow up and I actually felt really tight because you could see that that was really quite challenging for her that and I, I felt tight that I'd not given her time to like be the baby in the family mm-hmm. um so that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't do it again as well because yeah that was quite weird but I actually felt quite tight on her that she'd not been the baby yeah she'd sort of had a couple of months of being the baby rather than a year of being the baby yeah. Yeah. yeah she was kind of having to step into like a different role because they do um yeah no it, it's true actually yeah no it is it is true thinking about it because chica was the young one and then she stepped up to being the mama dog with munchkin before we even had the litter from her and by yeah. the time the litter came she was like i'm the mama dog i can do this and then yeah. munch was like oh i'm an auntie now okay i'll step up as well and it does make it it's, it's interesting yeah. i hadn't thought of it like that but I, I think so from that point of view as well, that year rule, not only for the person's sanity, yes. but also the development and kind of well-being of the youngest dog. I think having that year rule is a good idea. Um, have you ever done it where you've had two from a litter together? Have you ever done that silliness? No, never done that. <laughs> no a couple of people i know that have done it with terriers as well which is just really stupid um emma jody yes i'm calling you out on this but we've done a podcast on it so it's fine um okay cool so jane i think we have been chatting forever i don't even know how long we've been chatting for i feel like this is a two-hour episode <laughs> 
up for ages and you weren't allowed to come to to crafts and get ill like the rest of us yeah, pleased about that yeah no you did good you made good choices well done um no that's cool so um if people want to find out more about what you do the smart pup boxes um if you have a puppy coming um or you've just got a puppy jane has a thing called a smart pup box which get one sign up it's a good thing <laughs> there you go i've just plugged that for you um, what, <laughs> what else did, what else have you got going on so i've got my book which is mission control um you can buy that direct from me because then i make more money um <laughs> true, buy it from jane like we're yeah, all for Amazon for speed, but Jane gets more money if you buy it from her, so get it from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you buy it from Amazon, I get like 2%, I think, or something like that. Um, buy from Jane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if you buy it from me, com or smartbookbox.com, um, there's, a, there's a link through there to get my book. Um, we also do classes and stuff, um, and I have my online, just have my online community. Um, which is we kind of do we do behavior chat every week it's a little bit like a gym so we have um we have behavior chat every week which is just a live and then that gets recorded so if you miss it you can watch it and then we have um i do a live gun dog lesson helen does hoopers sorry helen does apdt awards and tricks class mm -hmm. and we've got emma who's got one of my puppies, Flair, she does hoopers and agility classes. Oh. So we have, we have live classes every week um, and challenges and stuff. Um, and then I put videos up. We have a bit of a video vault and stuff. So we talk about like professional dog trainery stuff. And sometimes we talk about cases. It's just like a really safe place for trainers to come. I'm really strict. So if anyone was like a bit of a dick, I'd just kick them out. Um, everybody's really lovely and nice and supportive if you're having a bit of like a meltdown or imposter syndrome it's kind of just a really nice place to go hello can I just be vulnerable for a I'm having a day <laughs> um, shit yeah. yeah and everybody's like really lovely it's a really lovely group for kind of that and um, kind of that as well so so yeah there's there's also there's also that as well good then, good 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 and that's um from how do they get onto that through Facebook? Yeah, okay, cool. I'll put the link in the show notes so people can look into it. I have I have heard good things on the grapevine about the group. So Ooh, okay. um it's but it's always nice to hear because it's like, oh yeah, they're just plugging around. No, I have heard good things about it. So and obviously there's hoopers, so it's fabulous anyway. Um, not that I'm biased in any way. Yeah, I've been it's brilliant. So I've been learning as well. I've been attending Emma's classes. And are you enjoying the hoopies with your mental? Yeah, so we've been we've been doing our little. So we had a we had a March hoopers challenge, um, to do. So yeah, we've been uh, we've been working on that. And Emma does. Um, I think she's got back problems, Emma, but she's she's a distance handler. She does like she doesn't even do any walking. Oh, mate, I tell you, us, us hoopers people are lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. I literally find where I'm standing and remain in my spot. Like, it's not good when we also like cake because doing hoopers and liking cake are not helpful to the waistband. I'm telling you. It's brilliant. 
It's yes, so that dog's trim. She does all the distance handling stuff as well, which is which is brilliant. Because yeah, she can just send. She can literally just like stand in the middle of an agility course, Emma, and send a dog around the whole thing. It's awesome. But this is where, as well, it's a it's a great outlet for the gun dogs because gun dogs are designed to work away from you it's why it suits the herding breeds as well because they're designed to work away from us so giving them an outlet where they are working with you but at a bit of a distance is a great great team building exercise but it taps into those natural outlets the natural abilities that we've been breeding into those dogs so it's cool Right, so guys, as always, you can follow my dogs on the social media. Remember, you can help support me and the podcast at um, buymeacoffee.com slash hoopers. So if you want to treat me to a coffee, I'll love you forever. And until next time, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock, and don't let them lick toads. Take care, guys. Bye. www.caninehooperswild.com Canine Hoopers World now has achievement awards online so anyone anywhere can test their teamwork and get one of our beautiful rosettes there's even one for puppies the website will tell you more about that and hoopers how to find an instructor we also offer online training there are beginners courses we offer online training in distance handling and there are instructor courses for dog trainers Join us on Facebook. We have a friendly international group and follow us on Instagram at Canine Hoopers World. Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited.